Hello and welcome to Beckett Talks, the new podcast from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we'll be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. My name is Christopher Byrne. I'm a lecturer in politics in Leeds Beckett's School of Social Sciences. I'm joined by Dr. Christopher Till, senior lecturer in sociology, also in Leeds Beckett's School of Social Sciences. And we're going to be talking about the importance of academic journals in the social sciences and our involvement as editors. Chris, the first question I thought it would be interesting for us to look at is why academic journals play an important part in what universities do. Hi, Chris. Uh, Nice to talk to you. Um, uh, Yeah, good question. I think for me, first and foremost, they're they're the the main means of disseminating research uh, and findings um, uh, and scholarship in general. Um, So they're the main way in which academics and researchers get their ideas their um, their findings from research out into the into the uh, into the wider community, um, but they also act as a kind of a, a gatekeeper for research, I suppose, in a sense, or a, a, an insurer of credibility. There's a difference between putting research out into an academic journal, which has a reputation compared to just on on any kind of blog or, or website. As academics, as researchers, when we want to find out some some information, some some data, some findings, find out what the the, the state of the art is in a, in the, the field of research that we're interested in, we tend to go to um, certain journals, um, uh, potentially from certain publishers uh, that, that we know they have previously published good stuff in the past, or that have a certain credibility to them. But that I, I mean that does have that does bring kind of obvious downsides also in a sense that um, the vast majority of journals um, are behind a kind of uh, a, a paywall. Uh, so they, they, you have to pay for access to them. Most academics don't have to because the, the subscriptions are paid for by universities, but the wider public doesn't necessarily have, have that access. Um, so actually, when I said it's a way of academics getting their their, their work out, their findings, their ideas out into the into the world, actually, a lot of the time, in a sense, that's a kind of a restricted access, um, and it's very easily accessible usually by other people working at universities, but not necessarily the public at large. And that, I think that's been an issue in in academic publishing, um, an, an issue and an area of debate for a, for a few years, really. Principally, it's it's about getting ideas out there. Um, but there are kind of there are certain systems and, and processes in place that, that, that manage that as well, as well as kind of economic factors. It does seem like a bit of a shame that journals can't play that role more effectively. Like you say, one of their big roles is to enable academics to speak to one another, to share their ideas. It's also the job of an academic journal to teach students as well at university. You know, when you start a university degree, most of your readings probably throughout the course of your degree are going to come from academic journals. Uh, they play both of those roles quite well. But you do get the impression that it's unfortunate that academics journal, academic journals don't speak to a slightly wider audience more. And I think that's probably you've hit the nail on the head there in pointing out that there is a paywall for most of these academic journals 
and it's uh, an unfortunate thing about about them. That is something which has been challenged in recent years, and there's been a big push, and a lot of the um, the, the big organisations who fund a lot of academic research have been pushing for um, all of the, the research to be publicly available because a, a lot of the funding for research is actually from public funds, in, you know, taxpayer-funded organisations and charities often as well. Um, and it is it's kind of in their interests to uh, for the public to actually have access to that. Um, but what that's kind of turned into is that it it doesn't mean that those things are just put out there freely. It's actually that um, re- research funding or some kind of funding from from research bodies, from universities or even individuals um, is needed to sort of pay the journals for that kind of processing of of the article. So rather than people paying for access, it's paid for kind of um, by the by the researchers or the research funding bodies or the or, or the organisations, um, which I do think is better. And I think I think uh, people, uh, the general public, should be able to access. Uh, these materials um, easily, but again, there's, there are these kinds of these kinds of costs involved, and then that actually puts can sometimes put barriers um, to people uh, uh, to researchers getting their getting their work out there if they haven't got that that funding behind them. But there is a move towards that, and so you, you do increasingly see increasingly see open access articles within journals, uh, and increasingly entirely open access journals. Um, where where they don't where they don't necessarily even charge, um, and I think it is an interesting issue because we mentioned that kind of gatekeeper aspect um, and the kind of credibility that you get get from from the journals. And the reason why that's there is because it is managed. It, it has sort of the the, the backing of perhaps a, a big publisher and, and that kind of thing, that kind of prestige. And I think there's a question as to you know what value that does bring, and I think it it does in some ways, but. Actually, to some extent, it is the it is sort of the paywall that differentiates an academic journal from just another website, um, and and its connection to you know to to kind of publishing houses and things like that. But I think it, it's a really it's a really it's a tricky kind of it's a tricky question, and I don't know that there's an easy answer to to where publishing should go. My my kind of gut feeling is that everything should be open access and freely available. Um, but there's other kind of consequences to that, I think. Uh, I'm not sure what your, your thoughts are. This is a, a service that has to be provided by somebody. And the way that the funding model works at the moment is that the, the big publishing houses that, that work with academics um, invest significant amounts of money into making these journals available to academics. But one of the ways in which uh, they recoup some of that money is through that system that you've just described of charging university libraries and basically anybody who wants to be able to access these texts uh, fees. The the question is, how do you move to a more sustainable model where you can have either complete open access or more journal articles uh, going open access? Like you said earlier, there are movements in that direction. Uh, you can now, if you are submitting an article to most big journals, opt to make it open access, but you have to pay a fee. So somebody has to pay a fee uh, one way or another, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, you do have the option as an author to do that. The problem is at the moment that can be prohibitively expensive if you don't have some sort of um, financial resource yourself. That would usually be from a research grant or, or something of that nature. So I think it, for most journals, it's hundreds of pounds 
to, to actually make your research open access, which is something that many people can't afford to do. But something that relates to this and another important aspect to what journals do is the, the journals, like the ones that we edit, but this stands for pretty much any journal out there, they are not just neutral platforms for disseminating research organized on a disciplinary basis. I think something that's really important to emphasize is that journals have editorial policies and those editorial policies shape the kinds of research that gets done in higher education. So I, I was going to also ask you what you think about that and, and the role of editorial policy in fostering a certain kind of research. Um, do you think that that's a big part of, of what academic journals do? Yeah, absolutely it is. And I think um, we'll, we'll come on to some of this detail in a few minutes, but I think I've, I've become more aware of that from being on the other side, from being on the side of uh, of being involved in editing journals as well than, than I perhaps was um, previously. And um, But anyone who's spent any time kind of looking at reading academic work from journals will get a sense that there is a certain style to particular journals and also particular types of content, particular kinds of research which gets published in there, um, as well as different types of standards for what is kind of appropriate research. But I think those two are kind of connected in the sense that some journals are looking for certain kinds of uh, approaches, tend to be focused on particular topics often, um, or, or disciplines or sub-disciplines, um, so we have in my field, for instance, one of the one of the main journals, one of the, the most prominent journals is the journal Sociology, which is is backed by the British Sociological Association. Of course, that's broadly interested in just in the discipline of sociology. But then there's there's many, many others which are focused on issues around gender, around um, work, technologies, around health, such as one I'm involved in. So there's of course there's kind of different sub-disciplines and there's kind of editorial policies based around that we are interested in this kind of work but we're not interested in that kind of work and there's obviously a lot of work that goes into the, defining uh, whether a particular uh, article fits or doesn't but then there is the other kind of policies based more around around quality you know does this meet the standards um, that we would expect in this journal that's largely, you know, uh, in a sense, a kind of a conversation between reviewers and and, and editors uh, when when kind of looking at work. Um, but I think that those two are kind of in, intertwined because what would be considered to be appropriate um, in terms of quality in, uh, is is actually to some extent defined by by the focus by the particular field. You know, the, the kind of quality of writing, quality of uh, methods or whatever in a, you know in a sociology journal. Um, uh, might be what's expected there might be different in politics in your field and would certainly be different in in kind of engineering or or in physics um, so th there's kind of there's kind of a lot of co complexity there but the main issue is those policies are very influential but they are kind of constantly being debated I, I would say would you agree with that I I think I do agree and it's certainly the case that Virtually every academic journal has to think about quality um, in terms of the quality of the scholarship. But something you said there I, I found really interesting, which was the quality of methods, because that could be interpreted to, to mean that 
there is a hierarchy of research methods with some research methods being poor research methods and at the bottom of that hierarchy. And if you use those methods, you're only able to publish in certain outlets that are also lower quality. But if you use a good quality research method, you'll get into a, a better journal. But but of course, and I, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this point, but I don't think you can rank uh, research methods in that way. And yet it is the case if you look at virtually any field and certainly my own field of politics, the most prestigious journals do kind of require their their authors to use certain methods and in in the case of politics that's often more quantitative positivist sorts of approaches which um, many people for good uh, academic reasons choose not to use because they think that there are better ways to research the things that they're interested in i meant more kind of quality of, um, I suppose quality of methods isn't the right phrase, I mean, um, the kind of um, appropriate implementation of methods, uh, you know, the, 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 the methods were used properly and, uh, you know, we ha you had the right kind of sample size, you used the right kind of analysis, whatever, rather than the actual overall method itself being, you know, higher or lower quality, you know, quantitative versus qualitative or whatever. But I absolutely agree, there is certainly that kind of there is that kind of hierarchy and there are certainly some journals like you say um within within fields that will prioritize certain kinds of methods uh, and, and even i think certain kinds of theory as well um, um again you, i think you get certain kinds of theoretical approaches or sets of theoretical approaches which are more commonly um associated with particular journals um but again i think that's a very negotiated kind of process uh, there might even be differences in opinion amongst editors or, or uh, you know within editorial boards um, and it's a, i think it's a constant negotiation um between sort of editors reviewers uh and and authors as well you know um does my work fit in here um do i shape my work to fit into this journal um or do i take it somewhere else or do i try to kind of convince them that they should be accepting the kind of work that I do. I think you know they're they're kind of almost almost um, kind of little debates that go on all the time. So Chris, I, I I was interested in how you came to be a journal editor. Well, I don't know if my experience was the same experience other journal editors will have had, but I was approached by the existing editorial team of my journal, which is called British Politics. And they approached me and asked me if I'd like to take on the role. Uh, I suppose at least one of the reasons why they did that is because they felt that I was a, a suitable person to do that because of my own research background. And I guess it would be quite common uh, or, or expected that if you're going to edit a journal in a particular field or a sub-discipline, that you're uh, something of an expert in that uh, field or sub-discipline. But I think another thing that that uh, another reason why I was approached to edit my journal is probably because of and this goes back to something we spoke about a moment ago, um, and that's the editorial policy of the journal. And in my case, I, I'd known the existing journal edit editors for quite a while and I, I'd, I'd published in the journal before I'd reviewed articles for the journal before and I guess that they perceive that I, I shared their philosophy 
when it came to what they were trying to achieve with the journal. That's probably the most important thing. The, the, the journal that I edit is really about trying to counteract a tendency towards fragmentation of the discipline of British politics over recent years. And it's very much concerned with um, making sure that research has a strong theoretical basis. That's kind of the, the purpose of the journal. There was some commonality there with the, the uh, existing editorial team, and that's perhaps why they, they uh, asked me to take on the role. Yeah, my, that's interesting. Cause that, that's very similar to my experience as well. Um, uh, I I was approached, so I I didn't know the 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 kind of the, the the main editor, but I knew someone who was actually stepping down as a co-editor, um, and they sort of suggested me um, to um, to the the existing editorial team and had a conversation with them, and they obviously kind of scoped me out a bit. But also, I had. I had also reviewed for them and I had also published an article with them. So again, from that process, from some kind of um, personal level kind of connection and also, um, you know, professional work uh, with them as well. I'm a co-editor for a journal called Health, an, inter an, an interdisciplinary journal for the social study of health, illness and medicine, um, which is a, a somewhat unwieldy title, but it's almost entirely, by people who, who use it, it's almost entirely known as just health. The focus of this journal isn't um, isn't to kind of, to, to battle fragmentation in the, in the way that, that you described with yours, um, but it is more to kind of take a particular a particular angle on on health so it is it's focused on taking a kind of a, a critical angle in the in the sense of for those people who might might know about this kind of a kind of a broadly sort of critical theory time type uh, approach influenced by the social sciences and humanities um so it is it is concerned with understanding and investigating health and health related issues in relation to kind of also understanding and critiquing norms and power relationships and, and things like that. So it does sort of define itself against uh, maybe more policy oriented um, journals um, or ones that are more specifically uh, about kind of directly improving health outcomes. So um, it, we don't tend to publish findings of, of kind of health studies or of um, assessments of um, health um, kind of interventions or health services research and things like that. Uh, it tends to be uh, more theoretically grounded, more kind of critically grounded. Um, and I think that that's actually, um, again, some to relate to something we were talking about earlier, that that is a big part of a lot of the discussions that we have about, is this appropriate for this journal or, or, or is it not? It is that, is in that kind of grey area between between those, um, but yeah, absolutely. So, in many ways, a kind of a, a similar experience to you, I think. Another thing that I'm interested to hear your thoughts on is how you actually find running a journal in terms of what are the day-to-day -day things that you have to do as a journal editor. Uh, perhaps that's an interesting thing to talk about. So, could you uh, speak a bit about? The, the basic tasks that are involved in editing a journal and the sorts of challenges that you might uh, encounter along the way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, different journals will work differently, I, I imagine. Um, how mine works is we have an overall editor, it's just called the editor, um, and then we have a number of co-editors, and I'm one of those. And so our submissions um, 
come in and first of all go to the editor and he does the sort of the first filtering process uh, and makes that first sort of big decision on whether he thinks that these broadly fit with with the journal um, and if he decides that they're not then they get sort of sent straight back to the authors which is what in the in the industry is called a desk reject you know so it's been rejected without going out to review it's just decided that that just doesn't fit with this journal for for whatever reason um, so i don't usually have to deal with that 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 that's dealt with by the editor but then after that our um, submissions get allocated to the co-editors myself uh, and a few others um, and I know our editor does like to try to kind of um, align them with our broad kind of interests and knowledge, but of course that's that's only possible to you know to 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 a limited extent. But so then we, I have um, access. So ours is, is done through the kind of the, the the Sage system, which is a company that which, uh, well a publisher uh, who. Um, who runs our journal and they have a kind of a submission system and so I, I, I get notifications and I go and log in when I've uh, received some, some submissions to to look at and so then I have I have the article to read uh, and that's actually for me that's one of the nicest things about about editing is I, I get to read a lot of um, really interesting research and uh, you know you kind of feel a bit special in a way because you're reading it a long time before almost anyone else does and so it's a good way of kind of staying uh, staying abreast of cutting edge developments in your field but so I, I i can read those articles and then my main really the main task of an editor uh, the, the part that takes it most of your time is trying to find reviewers trying to find people uh, academic peers to uh, look at that uh, that proposed article and to um, give their opinions on it so what you're trying to do really is to it's not just to kind of get anyone to look at it but someone who is of course qualified in that field but also that's, that's appropriate to review that so someone who will have a really good understanding of of that article and of the, the the broader field and can give a really well-informed opinion on that and that can be a really hard process um, it is helped by the way the journals are set up but we, i'm not expected to just sort of um be able to kind of pick names out of my head to, to kind of do this, although sometimes you can do that. Um, but we have a kind of a system um, with lots of kind of profiles in it. And I can search search for people based on, for instance, on the the keywords that, that have been attached to that article. So when someone writes an article and submits it, they have to attach certain keywords to it that they think represent that um, that article. So I can search for other people that are in our system that have um, got those keywords attached to them. Um, I can search for people who have uh, published articles um, which have similar kinds of uh, uh, similar kinds of topics associated uh, keywords associated with with their articles as well. And that 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 kind of database of potential reviewers is made up for made up of people who have reviewed for us or kind of related journals before. People who have submitted articles. Um, with us and also just just other other people who might have been kind of incorporated into it for for other reasons. So the, often that's the kind of the first port of call, but we might also look at the the, the references um, in in the article and look at who's been cited in that. If if someone's been cited um, and certainly if they've been cited multiple times uh, in that article, there's a good chance that there's someone who 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 knows that field well if they've been kind of cited there. Um, and, you, and sometimes we'll also just kind of just search online for uh, you know through 
um, through databases um, such as Google Scholar to find people who have kind of written in that area. And then it's kind of a process of trying to kind of uh, the, the real hardest part, not just that finding people who are suitable, is is convincing them to do it for you. Um, and that that's the kind of that's probably the trickiest bit because people are so are so busy and reviewing work is always on top of people's jobs. Uh, they're not you know not paid to do this, so it is it's difficult to find people who have got time um, to do these reviews. Uh, and they, a lot of people get a, a lot of requests for reviews. Um, so I usually, when I first get an article in, I go through all those processes to get a big kind of list of people who who I think would be suitable and then kind of work my way down them. And in, in most cases, of course, m- more people um, say that they're not available to review and, and for very good reason um, uh, than, than will uh, agree to it. That's the most difficult part of the, the job as well, I think, just finding people to do the reviews for you. That's very much my experience as well. It can be very difficult, and especially over the past year with the pandemic, yeah. where people's workloads have, have ballooned, it's very hard to get people to do something that is essentially unpaid work, as you say. The point you make about finding reviewers is also interesting as well, because oftentimes a good way of finding a suitable reviewer is to look at the authors that a particular paper engages with. But of course, if you do that, it very much depends on whether the paper is being critical of those authors and the tendency of the the people who are being criticised to either take that criticism in the right spirit, um, because there is always the risk that people won't necessarily give the best, most helpful and most impartial review if you ask them to review a paper that's highly critical of them. So it, it can be quite tricky to find Uh, reviewers bearing in mind that somebody might be the most qualified to review a paper but they might also be um i can't think of a better word than than biased even though that's that sounds a bit harsh but i think bias is is something you need to to bear in mind when it comes to peer review because of course the idea behind peer review is that it's a, a neutral impartial way of measuring the quality of academic papers but there are all sorts of reasons why peer review doesn't necessarily work in that way. People might take offence at at being uh, criticised or, like you say, you might not be able to find um, the right people who are willing to to review a paper. You could identify the person that's best equipped to be able to comment on a particular new paper that your journal's received. But if the people who are qualified to review it aren't able to or just don't want to, which is sometimes the case, and that's understandable because, like like, like I say, it, it is unpaid then that kind of well that does imply that the peer review process isn't quite as robust or as helpful as we might like it to be but one other thing i think it's interesting to think about when it comes to running an academic journal is that that basic task of taking in papers deciding whether to desk reject or not and then sending it out to reviewers And then, of course, when you get the paper back, you might have to either, I guess, the most straightforward one is to accept the paper if it's a very good paper. But most often, in my experience, at least, it's a case of revising the paper, working with the the authors of that paper to to make it better and to address certain problems with the paper that might exist. But that's just one side of it. There's a whole other uh, aspect to being a journal editor in terms of promoting your journal trying to move it up the rankings because as we mentioned earlier 
there are rankings to academic journals and there's an informal kind of hierarchy that everyone who's part of a discipline will be aware of. But actually, there's a formal hierarchy, too, in terms of the way that government assesses and audits the research quality of universities and certain journals being able to publish in certain journals is often used as a proxy for the quality of a piece of research. So you'll often hear people speak about, oh, that's a four star journal or that's a three star journal. And that's a reference to the uh, research excellence framework that the government does every usually about six years or so where they audit the quality of research that each university does. And journal editors, whether they want to or not, whether this is a desirable thing or not, have to think about where your journal sits in that hierarchy. And naturally, you want to be higher up in that ranking than lower down. So you've got to think about how you can promote your journal, whether that's on social media, um, being very involved with professional associations, and doing various kinds of things to, to push up your uh, what's known as impact factor. Um, and also on top of that, as I mentioned earlier, you've got to think about your editorial policy as well. That's another really important part of the job of an editor. You're not just taking in these papers and assessing them based on quality. You've also got to think about, well, what do I want this journal to focus on? What are the things that don't necessarily receive the attention that they sh should receive? that I can have a, a role in bringing to the fore. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on that that side of things. Do you consider that to be a big part of what you do as an editor? Yeah, that's really, um, really interesting point. And I, I'll just go back to something you mentioned earlier about, um, about that issue of bias and getting the right kind of re reviewer. And I think that is, um, uh, it's a good reminder actually of, that is another really hard part about the, about the job, but also one of the most interesting. And I think that that's where the kind of um, the role of the editor really comes in. A huge part of what you're doing is, is kind of just making decisions, making judgments, I think. That's both in terms of who the right kind of reviewers are, but also being able to take an editorial line. And, and, and sometimes you will get reviews in where um, they are quite divergent in their opinion on what that uh, on the quality of that paper uh, or on whether it should be um, it should be published or not. Ideally, they, you know, th those reviews will be quite close together, but, but quite often they're not. And then you have to take kind of an editorial line on that and, and actually make a, make a decision whether to um, go with one reviewer over the other or to kind of how you can bring that, rather how you can bring those reviews together um, and how to kind of present those reviews back to back to the author and kind of manage that relationship. And that's really hard. It's kind of quite hard sort of intellectual work in a way. Um, but uh, but actually some of the most sort of interesting and, and ultimately often quite satisfying as well. But on those uh, on the other points about the kind of the status of journals, that's a really that's a really huge issue as well. And like you say, there's this there's this idea. And again, this is a bit kind of behind the scenes and a, a bit kind of uh, nerdy academic, but all this this talk about uh, the different kind of rankings of journals and things like this. And people do talk about a journal being kind of four star, three star, that kind of thing, uh, which is, is is how kind of work is ranked in the, as you said, in the research excellence framework. Um, but 
of course, that doesn't actually mean anything. That, that there is no there is no star ranking for journals, even though there's something people often say. Um, it's only individual papers that are kind of assessed like that. But the the the, the two sort of do bleed together. And then again, uh, as you said, we have these these impact factors, which are uh, uh, the, these measurements based on how many citations there are of, of papers in that journal. Although there are increasingly uh, what's called alt metrics, um, as in alternative metrics being used for assessments of journals and of particular papers. And a lot of that is to do with how much they're shared around on social media uh, and, and discussed and things like this. So there are kind of alternatives uh, in the works. But I think they're all problematic in various ways, and they don't necessarily speak to the quality of um, of uh, of the journals or, or the or the articles themselves. They are sort of a shorthand, and and I think that they're there to feed to feed those kinds of assessments frameworks as much as they are um, an actual indicator of of quality. I do look at those things. I do look at what the impact factor is of the journals uh, of my own journal and, and of others that I might be submitting to. And, and that kind of thing, but I kind of feel like I don't want to, <laughs> and, if it, and and I, and I and and sometimes you will, uh, as an author, you will kind of discount or kind of override that kind of that basic quantitative quantitative assessment of a, uh, of a, an impact factor of a journal, or or aim for one that is is lower rather than higher because you think your work is is better for that journal, or because you respect that journal uh, in terms of your own assessment of it. Uh, so I assume other people are doing uh, are doing similar things as well. Um, although perhaps some people, some researchers, some academics might be just strictly all about the numbers. Uh, it is a really tricky uh, process, uh, and and of course these kinds of measures and metrics tend to expand, and, and even individual um, uh, scholars have uh, what's referred to as an H index, which is sort of like a an impact factor um, for for individual researchers, and even actually recently. Uh, um, uh, there's a, a do you know about publons that if you use something you use with your yeah. journal yeah you, you get credit for being a reviewer yes exactly yeah i don't actually I've, I've not actually signed up to this myself and that's kind of a way of it is partly a, a way of giving credit um for reviewers as, as we said you know that in a sense being a reviewer is a kind of a, a thankless task because you don't get paid and by definition it's it, it's anonymous so you don't get the kind of the kudos I mean, I suppose you can put on your CV. I've reviewed for all these the, these journals, but Publons is a way of of publicly giving people a profile and a uh, 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 for for all those 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 kinds of reviews that they've done while ma maintaining the anonymity. But of course, it also sort of turns into a ranking process as well. Um, so yeah, I think that there's some difficulties there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, are those things? Do, are those things that you that you spend a lot of time thinking about as um, as an editor? I tend to take the approach that they are important, and at the end of the day, you're a journal editor with a responsibility to not allow your impact factor to to really um, crater. You you would you wouldn't want that to happen, and that's quite quite a natural thing. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to be entirely driven in a very kind of mercenary way by impact factor because at the end of the day as we spoke about earlier when we discussed the role of academic journals they're there to allow academics to speak to one another to speak to students and ideally also to speak to the wider society and to have an impact a positive impact 
on the society. And and although a lot of good research is high impact or very highly cited research, so sometimes these two things do overlap, it's often the case that they don't overlap. And, and like you said a moment ago, that there is a role for the editor in terms of, yes, I am going to accept this paper. It's not as likely to be very highly cited as certain other papers, but it has a very important message or it's a very interesting paper in some way. So ideally, the two things will overlap, but they often don't. And I think it's important to remember as well that impact and citations aren't everything. You can be very highly cited because your work's not very good and lots of people want to point it out. Or it's just a very controversial statement that you make with your pa- uh, paper or with your research. So you don't want to be only focused on impact and citations, but inevitably it's an important part of the job. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's right. Um, um, but it is it, there's a certain kind of um, sorcery to this as well because it is you know these the, the, these are kind of all the things that you've described about trying to kind of keep you know, manage those those kind of numbers, those impact factors and things like that isn't um, uh, often the, the actual ta- tasks you're doing on a day to day basis don't have a very direct relation to that. And it's, 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 it's hard to know what what you're doing, whether it really has an impact like that. But actually, I just wanted to ask you something else as well is, is because it is quite a hidden process, actually, um, the day to day running of a, of a journal, which is the sort of the reason the, the rationale behind why why we did this podcast i think um it, are there any aspects of running a journal which are kind of which you think people aren't necessarily aware of but are quite interesting um i think the the main thing that would fall under that category is just the weight or the extent to which most journals are geared towards this kind of competition with other academic journals so we've kind of covered the the really important aspects of that but that's something that surprised me when i first became an editor when you start speaking to the publisher of the journal that they are less concerned with the topics and the the substantive pieces of research that go into the journal and they very much want to talk about the things we just mentioned in terms of impact and how to Im- increase your number of citations for the journal so that's a a slightly surprising thing Another thing that's it's not really to do with the day to day running of the journal, but it's something that people who aren't already in academia find surprising when you speak to them about editing a journal. One thing they really tend to be surprised by is the fact that authors and even universities do it all for no pay. The people that actually write all of the articles that go into the vast majority of academic journals uh, are doing that on an unpaid basis and it's also not the universities that that benefit from that it's it's the big publishers behind the the these various journals uh, so that's another surprising thing that i've found do you have any any things that you've been surprised about uh, becoming a, a journal editor is there anything that, that came as a, a bit of a surprise yeah, I mean, I think that, that I think you're right. I think the, the, the fact that no one's paid in the process, I think, would probably be the biggest kind of surprise, maybe to a more general or a student reader of academic articles. One thing, this is quite a small, well, maybe it's a small thing. I think it's something I, which I didn't realise as someone who had been kind of submitting articles for journals to journals for quite some time and and doing reviews of for them was that um, 
at least in the system we use um, for my journal, it may be different for others. There's there is essentially a ranking system of reviewers. So we, we mentioned about that sort of, that publons earlier, but th this is something different. This is internal to the system. We, there's a little score um, that we have. So when we're searching for reviewers, we can see their we can see their kind of reviewer score, um, and you can kind of um, sort the sort. If you're searching for reviewers who come up with a certain keyword, you can you can uh, order them by the um, by their their reviewer score, which is essentially based on uh, how quickly they they do the review and and we're always asked to just uh, assess their kind of um the quality of their uh, of their review um about five or so, i think or something like that so uh, everyone has this little kind of reviewer score and i think that's something that, that this that, that's hidden even to people who are engaged in reviewing and, and submitting uh papers um but again i think this is a kind of a tendency of these big organizational systems and bureaucracies and, and publishers like Sage um, uh, are are very much in that category. They like to score everything and like to rank everything. Um, but yeah, people might not be aware of that, I think. Yes, it does seem like there's a ranking for absolutely everything these days uh, when it comes to universities. My, my journal doesn't actually do that. I, I wasn't aware that that was a, a thing in, in academic journals, but it's very interesting to hear. And it's perhaps something that I'll, I'll consider for, for my journal. Maybe speak to my co-editor about that one. It is kind of useful, but it feels a bit creepy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks very much, Chris. It was good speaking with you. Yeah, no, thanks to you as well. Yeah, it's been great. It's been really interesting to have a chat, actually. And it's it's something we don't necessarily always um, yeah, get to get to go this kind of get go this deep on in, in, in discussing with, uh, with the people, especially with people from other journals. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday, so don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.